Rick have any complaints after the game? He seemed pretty happy with us. Yeah, he was pretty happy. Uh, as a matter of fact, I don't think he even had any complaints. But, um, you know, he 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 hasn't going to stick to this win too much longer. He's going to move on to Georgia. And, um, you know, we got to prepare How long was that? For that. No complaints? None? Is it almost scary when he doesn't complain? Yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> I think, think he's sick. <laughs> All right. That's what she said. Hey, I love you. What? Nothing. Second base. Let's go. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, postseason basketball around the corner time, SEC championship time. Things don't suck quite so bad right now. Time, whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols twenty four seven podcast. West Rucker. Grant Ramey coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio on a chilly Friday morning in Knoxville, Tennessee. Chilly relative to what it has been. Sun's out. It's not that bad. Sun's out, guns out. Probably time to mow the yard after 16 inches of rain and 80 degree weather last week. I'm loving it. I am loving it. Not loving this bug or whatever it is in my throat still, but... I'm loving it. Whose catchphrase was that? McDonald's? Yes, McDonald's. The Go Balls 24-7 podcast brought to you by McDonald's. We're loving it. Brought to you by 90s McDonald's when that was still a thing. When you could still supersize stuff. We're here today, ladies and gentlemen, to talk to you about Tennessee basketball, the 16th ranked volunteers, 22-7 and seven overall, 12-5 and five in the SEC, number 9 in the RPI, number 13 in the Ken Palm rankings, tied for the SEC lead, heading into the final day of the regular season on Saturday. Vols hosting the Georgia Bulldogs, who uh, they almost never beat in basketball for some reason. 6 p.m. SEC Network with Auburn hosting South Carolina earlier in the day. So Tennessee will know going into that game whether the number two seed is a lock or the Vols are playing for not just the share of an SEC title, but the outright SEC championship and the number one seed. It's going to be crazy. Isn't it, though? It was going to be crazy even before it was announced as a sellout, but adding adding that it is a sellout changes it a little bit. But the, the most interesting part is that they play it. Auburn plays at 2.30. That game will be over by 4.30 before Tennessee ever even comes onto the court for pregame stuff. They're going to know exactly where they stand. I don't think they try to hide the fact that, you know, they stay tuned in to what's going on around the league. They know what they're going to be playing for, and they, and they know it's a Georgia team that's – uh, given them fits over the years as recently as three weeks ago, two weeks ago, however long ago that was, uh, where they just kind of got big boyed. Yeah, all the days kind of run together toward uh, conference basketball season because you're, you're, sometimes you're on the road two different places in a week, and it's fun, but it's uh, it, you do lose track of exactly what day it is and exactly where you are because you're like, oh, a game's being played today, so it's either Saturday or Tuesday or Wednesday. I know that. And they're playing a game during the day, so it's probably a Saturday. That's how we know a lot of times what day it is. But this is – if Tennessee can f- solve this Mark Fox dilemma, <clears throat> because Mark Fox turns into Red Arbach when he's you know, he's going against Rick Barnes, it seems. I think he's uh, 4-0 and against him since Rick Barnes has been at Tennessee. I think 5-0 uh, against Barnes in his career. They lost in Athens 20 20- – 15-16, Barnes' first year. Kenny Gaines and J.J. Frazier went crazy in that game. Uh, they they were up 14 in the second half last season at home. 
uh, and lost. Yeah, that was one of the when, inexplicable losses. When J.J. Frazier went crazy and, and just started scoring from all over the place because he had no answer for him. Uh, and then they lost in the SEC tournament first game when Yonte Mayton came back but didn't really do anything. I think J.J. Frazier still did the work there. And uh, and Mark Fox beat him at Texas in the first round of the NCAA tournament when Fox was at uh, Nevada. And even even after he lost uh, J.J. Frazier, he still – Still found a way to get it done. Of course, that was in a sold-out uh, Stegman Coliseum, the Stegosaurus. This one will be in a sold-out Thompson Bowling Arena with Tennessee playing for a whole heck of a lot. Uh, that that's going to be uh, that place is going to be rocking on Saturday. I think uh, it, it'll be up to level. To, to quote Spinal Tap, uh, it'll be up to eleven if uh, Auburn finds a way to lose at home to South Carolina, uh, which guarantees Tennessee at least an SEC championship no matter what, and. If Auburn loses or Auburn wins, I still think it's going to be a pretty yeah, nice atmosphere. I, that's what I was going to say. I think it'll be crazy even if Auburn does take care of business because this team uh, controls its own fate when it comes to splitting an SEC championship, and that's a really big deal. I mean, there's no there's no head to head tiebreaker when it comes to d- deciding the regular season champion. If it's if it's tied twelve and five and twelve and five or thirteen and five thirteen and five or twelve and six twelve and six, it's just co SEC regular season champions. You can put it on a banner. You can do whatever you want. Uh, the seeding comes into place when it is the SEC tournament and you're trying to figure out who the number one seed. That would go to Auburn, obviously, because of the head-to-head. But even if Auburn does take care of business, and I find it hard to believe they would lose to South Carolina at home on the last day of the season when all that's on the line, even if it yeah. even if it did kind of look like they were out of gas at Arkansas the other night. But still, uh, splitting a, a, an SEC title for this Tennessee team at this point would be uh, – if, if I told you that in November, you would – laugh your head off. You would laugh me out of the room. Yeah, and I think uh, both of us thought this team would not finish 13th in the league, but first is is not something that <clears throat> either one of us predicted. I can comfortably I couldn't, say that. I could, somebody asked me on the board in, like, December who would be the top four in the SEC, and I didn't think Tennessee would be in the top four. And that was after they had started to play in well just because I thought this league would be uh, really tough to win in, not in, not out, but they keep doing it. Yeah, and uh, they – when. When the ball tips at 6 o'clock on Saturday, they will be <clears throat> two hours away from saying, wait, where do we keep the ladders in here? <laughs> where are the ladders? Is that be- Who was the last person to change the nets? That conversation has probably yeah. happened this yeah, week. Yeah. Call, call the Locate last guy. the ladders. Call the last guy who cut nets here and ask him where uh, they put the ladder. Or do we have to go over to the physical plant and get a new ladder? They're probably like, hey, uh, uh, what are they probably going uh, – going to someone in the program, who would they go to and be like, hey, you need to go uh, to Home Depot or Lowe's right now and get a ladder? Kyle Condon, assistant of the head coach. That does seem like a very Kyle thing to do. Hey, Kyle, uh, get someone's truck and go get a ladder. The last time I saw strength coach Garrett Meanwhile driving down the road, he drives a Dodge truck that you would completely think was Garrett Meanwhile's uh, Dodge truck from like 1998. <laughs> Looks like it's been drove through a cornfield on the way to work. Yes. So maybe Garrett does it. That would be fantastic. Speaking of which, um, the strength and conditioning coach is kind of a, a pretty decent segue here to the way Tennessee has played the past couple weeks of the season. It looked like this team was kind of in a rut there for a while, and now this team is looking like one of the strongest teams on the floor again every time it every time it's out there and just kind of physically wearing on people. And – I think you look at the way that they've managed the bodies this season, the way that they've, you know, when, when they've been able to keep everybody relatively healthy, 
you've been able to see kind of the, the benefits of that strength and conditioning program because right now this is that, that tough time of the season and they're, they're still looking pretty fresh. And it, and it follows that, that kind of week-and-a-half, two-week stretch where it looked like they were kind of in a rut where they seemed like a lot of guys uh, across the roster were kind of struggling uh, when, they, when they went to Alabama and laid that egg when they went to Georgia and, and kind of got out toughed there in the second half when the game was kind of on the line and, and Georgia just kind of did what they wanted with them. And they've uh, bounced back to, to beat Florida at home, hold them to 57 points, to uh, to win at Ole Miss. And, and when it looked like it was going to be a frantic rally and where your 20-point lead disappears as quickly as it did in the second half, found a way to answer that one and win. And, and they found a way to go to Mississippi State. And that's, that's a team that had lost once at the hump this season. And Tennessee went in there and – and rolled them by 20, what was it, 22, 23, 22, something like yeah. that. And, and, and they were down eight midway through the first half, so they adjusted, uh, flipped the switch, and really, really dominated uh, over the last 30 minutes of that game. So they're they're back to playing uh, with a certain intensity on the defensive end, physicality. I mean, that's, that's not a team that I don't think anybody wants to play right now when it's, when it's really hard to score 60 points. You know, a lot of times when, when we're – in this business, we've all been guilty of this before, but you look for the easy narrative. You know, you look for that line in the sand, that that moment of truth kind of where a team kind of comes together, rallies around a singular event, and then starts playing better. Because it, I guess we've just all watched sports movies and read books, and it just seems like that's what happens. Most of the time, that's not even remotely the case. You know, you're always dealing with a few players who are doing well, a couple players who are struggling, you know, things are – guys got a rolled ankle, you know, guys, you know, in a fight with his girlfriend and and it's – or it, worried about failing a class or his, one of his parents is sick and, and so he's having all kinds of focus problems on the court and has nothing to do with basketball. And, you know, the, it, it's just never really that cut and dry. However, what's interesting is that Tennessee goes and has a three-hour – film session where they stop really looking at what other teams are doing to them and they just look at themselves and they say this is going to stop these bad turnovers are going to stop this sloppy play uh, this lazy play on defense is going to stop this uh, failure to get to your spot on offense is going to stop and if all of these things don't stop happening then one this team's going to lose and two uh, a promising season is going to end quickly, and three, uh, you will be on the bench because he said no more of these these dumb plays, no more of it. This is going to change, and lo and behold, right after that, they go out there and they just take it to Mississippi State again. If you've not been watching a lot of basketball this season, Mississippi State was eighteen and one in that building this season with the only loss being a close loss to league leading or league co-leading Auburn beat a lot of good teams in that building. Tennessee walks in there and just makes Mississippi state look like a JV team for the final 30 minutes of that game. Fans streaming to the exits 10 minutes uh, from time, basically just, uh, just unreal what they did to them in that building. Excuse me. And, it's it's can one event like that really make a really tighten up the situation that that well? Can it really can one three hour film session really put everybody on the same page, or is that just a little too convenient? I mean, apparently it did because that that's the 
that post-game press conference was as happy as Barnes has been with his team's play all season. I mean, it, it, he struggled to find something to critique, and when he did, it, it got back to the the ridiculous turnovers in the Ole Miss game, which resulted in that really long film session uh, the Sunday afternoon. I mean, he said the spacing on the floor was better than it's it's been all season in terms of on the offensive end. Uh, the way they played inside out was better than it's been all season. Uh, the way when Grant Williams got double teamed, he, he kicked it out and found somebody else that was open. That was as, as good as it's been all season. He was happy with the defense. Uh, uh, not a lot of silly turnovers or bad shots turning into easy points on the other end for Mississippi State. And, and, and it's not only a, a Mississippi State team that had won seven of eight or seven of nine. It was one of the hotter teams in the league. That was, based on the context, the biggest game of the season for Mississippi State because they're, they're a bubble team. That could have all but put them in the field. That, that what, I mean, I, I saw some stat where if, if they won, I think it was maybe ESPN's uh, Basketball Power Index, if they won, they had a 40% chance of getting into the field, and since they lost, they had an 8% chance. I mean, that's how much it killed their 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 bubble chances. So that that was the crazy thing. It was going to be a good atmosphere. It was going to be a good crowd. A ton of students were there before the, really early before the game because that was the biggest. That was their statement opportunity uh, for the selection committee, and Tennessee went in there, and, and it didn't matter. They acted like they, they didn't know any of that because they went in there and just rolled them out of the building. So uh, apparently that film session worked because that's as – that's just the, the most complete game they played and, and the happiest that Rick has been with the way they played. And we'd be remiss if we, if we didn't mention this. The, there's a lot of things that go into playing as well as they played at Mississippi State, a lot of things on both ends of the floor, and a lot of things that go into playing as well as they played for most of that game at Ole Miss. Uh, but it, it just seems to me like the number one thing is pretty clear right now. Admiral Schofield is – sort of taking his game to another level. And, and this is a guy who's saying, you know what, Grant Williams gets a lot of the love, but there are two stars on this team. There's not just one star on this team. There are two of them. And the way he's he's been out of his mind the past couple of games, he's averaging uh, 24.5 points, seven rebounds, and taking tough shots, making them, playing well on the defensive end. This is – all of a sudden it looks like things are starting to come together for the Admiral at the right time because – uh, he he's saying, you know what, I can pick up this team and put it on my back and go too. And it feels like he's attacking the rim more. It uh, feels like he's trying to get more high percentage looks. I mean, what do we, what do we always joke about early in a game? It's it's not officially a game until he's put up a three point yep. shot. And I don't did he attempt one at Mississippi State? I think he attempted maybe one or two, but but it, I mean, it's a, a a drastic difference from from what he was relying on. Uh, basically, every other game this season, it felt like. I mean. Uh, he's a guy that can hit threes, obviously, if you look at his percentages and numbers, but it looks like he's relied on that shot more or he's he's uh, he's taken one or two dribbles inside the perimeter, inside the arc, and, and shooting a, a mid-range jump shot where it felt like at Mississippi State he was trying to do more to, to get at the rim. And I, I think Ben Howland's quote was he just murdered us uh, down low doing whatever he wanted. I think he can do that. I think he can draw a contact. I think he can get to the line. I think he can – uh, help them play a lot more the way Rick Barnes wants them to play in terms of doing thing in, things inside out, even though he is one of their most high-percentage shooters. Uh, can can st- uh, score in a lot of different areas. It was it was good to see him attacking the rim and, and trying to play more uh, of those high-percentage shots. Yeah, Admiral's final line in that game, 24 points on 9 of 18 shooting, 0 of 2 shooting from 3, 6 of 7 from the free throw line, 7 rebounds, one block shot. So I mean, over two, over two from three is like him basically not even shooting one. 
Basically, yeah. Compared to previous numbers. Because uh, he had maybe one of the best Admiral Schofield quotes ever after that game at Ole Miss, saying, you know, if you got a body like this, you can't just shoot three-pointers. Yeah, and he said, sometimes I forget how big I am. Sometimes I, I – he's like, sometimes I forget how big I am, you know, next to, like, regular people. Common problem for everybody. We yeah, just always forget how big we are. It's like walking around. It'd be like uh, it'd be like one of us walking around, like – It'd be like you going to pick up uh, your daughter, like at preschool, and walking around in like a classroom full of those preschoolers. You're like, I forget how big I am next to these little, these little, these little human beings here. I could probably score on them in the post. Too. Could dunk on them yeah. like Billy Madison style. But yeah, Schofield was, and he was nine of eighteen, and so he got his shots. I mean, he can say all he wants that he's not. Uh, he, he's just a role player, and he's not – you know, we all know Admiral's going to put up his shots. Admiral Schofield, beg, borrow, or steal, is going to get his shots. We all know that. He's a, he's a role player, and his role is him and Grant Williams helping carry this team night in and night Yeah, out. it's them putting the team on the back and going. And uh, But in fairness, uh, the point I was making in a very slow and laborious and circuitous way there was that Admiral Schofield, he did put up 18 shots in that game, and no one else put up more than eight. But there were, again, some possessions where other guys just don't seem to want to do anything, and they're just moving the ball around, hot potato, no one wants to take the shot. And so you get to, like, the final five, six seconds of the shot clock, and they just give the ball to either Schofield or Turner or Williams, and and they put up a shot. So he had to force a couple shots, but as Rick Barnes said, that's not really his fault. Yeah, that, that, that that's a really big point that he makes after the game is is he really liked the ball movement and the spacing uh, a lot of the night on offense, but sometimes it did tend to stick and it got stuck with Admiral Schofield and he has to create. And it's it's a good thing for them that, that he can create. He has that really good turnaround jumper on the baseline, that little fadeaway. Uh, he can shoot from three, can step a couple of feet in and, and shoot the mid-range. Uh, and if, if it's going to get stuck with somebody, it might as well get stuck with him because when you're when you're making nine shots a game, that's that's a pretty good night at the office. Yeah, but you know, like it's when you're when you're with some friends or whatever, and you're you're you know at happy hour, you're grabbing an appetizer or something, and there's always that person who ends up with like the last chip in the bowl or like that last little bit of guacamole or queso, and he's like, oh well, if nobody else is going to do it, I, I mean, I guess I'll do it. But it's always the same person. That that that's Admiral Schofield. It's like, oh, I'll I'll just I'll just take the last chip. How did this get to me? How did that happen? That's weird. But yeah, that that's that's the admiral, and and you know, there's a lot of guys that are doing a lot of good things right now, and we will mention that. But we also will mention a couple of guys who have been struggling a little bit. Uh, this has been the most shocking thing to me uh, of the past few weeks, Grant. I'll, I'll I'll speak only for myself here, and then let you opine. But after leading the team in plus minus for most of the season. Kyle Alexander has had a negative plus minus in seven consecutive games. That is a whoa kind of moment because I think that's about 51 points they've trailed in the past seven games with him on the floor. And this has been a guy who was their plus minus leader for a good chunk of the season. So I, that, that's a that's surprising to me. And it's not the time of year where you want to be doing that. It's it's really, I mean, it's like you said, it's confusing. Uh, uh for parts of the season, a lot of the season, it felt like he was one of the bigger X factors on the team when he played well. Uh, it really changed a lot of things for Tennessee. Uh, I don't know what's going on the last few weeks with him. If it's if it's mental, if it's physical, uh, he doesn't look really that confident in the lane when when somebody's looking to get him in the ball in the post. He, he kind of fumbles it around. He doesn't look like he's really fighting for his space. 
I, I don't really know what's going on uh, with him, but but fortunately for Tennessee, there his kind of dip has kind of happened at the same time that Derek Walker is, has stepped up a little bit more and, and done some more stuff in the post. And uh, I, I don't know, but but they need to get Kyle figured out because if if he can do anything, I mean, right now what he's doing is is a, is a lot of nothing. If he can do anything uh, in the postseason play, that's a big help for them because they need. They need everything they can get out of those 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 depth guys in the post uh, to kind of take the pressure off of Grant and Amaral a little bit and and maybe create a little bit more space for the guards. But they got to get that figured out because it's it's just kind of really puzzling to to try to figure out what's going on there. Yeah, and, and Rick Barnes did go to bat for Kyle Alexander after the that game uh, the other night at Mississippi State, and you know he, he said that that it's not really Kyle's fault a lot of times when Kyle gets in foul trouble because. Kyle is a guy who uh, basically cleans up a lot of diapers. You know, he, he he cleans up a lot of mistakes. When other guys on the team are uh, getting blown by off the dribble, you, what do you usually have left? You have Kyle Alexander sit there and protect the rim, and that guy's usually going to get some fouls. So it's not 100% his fault that he's been getting in a lot of foul trouble lately. And Rick Barnes did say that he thought Kyle was doing a lot of things better uh, in that Mississippi State game. However, the fact is – uh, he's got 12 minutes uh, of action in, in Starkville. And in those 12 minutes, he had four points, three rebounds, three personal fouls, and a plus-minus of minus four. And then Derek Walker plays 15 minutes, and in those 15 minutes he gets seven points, two rebounds, an assist, uh, and a plus-minus of plus 16 in just 15 minutes. So the 12 minutes Kyle's on the floor – they're down four points, 15 minutes. Derek's on the floor. They're up 16 points, and that's after they were uh, up 28 points in Walker's 22 minutes against uh, Ole Miss down there in Oxford. So you're basically looking at, what is it, 44, a plus-minus of about a plus 44 in, geez, just like 27 minutes in the past couple games, which is just astounding. And this guy, it's almost like this is the guy who they thought – they would have for a lot of the season. This was the guy who was one of their best players in the summer, and it's kind of weird that he sort of fell off a cliff for a while and kind of got in the doghouse with Barnes, and and now he's emerged out of it at the end of his freshman season, and he's he's becoming a really nice player. What were you talking about in Starkville? If you could combine Kyle Alexander's body and Derek Walker's physicality and the way he plays around the rim, you'd have a one and done. You would have a lottery pick. Derek plays like he's always been the big kid, uh, always playing around the rim. He's incredibly comfortable around the rim. It seems like he always knows where he's at on the floor in terms of how he needs to try to score the ball if he does need to try to score the ball. Uh, He plays with physicality. He fights for his space. Uh, Obviously, he hasn't done it very long. He's just now kind of of taking that next step, which I guess, like you said, everybody thought he was going to do a lot earlier in this season. Uh, at least it is happening now when you're going into the most important part of the season. But I don't, I don't know. It's like they're the exact opposites. Where where Kyle's doesn't really have that strength. There, Walker does. Where Kyle's not comfortable around the rim, doesn't really know what to do when he gets the ball in his hands. A lot of times, Derek knows exactly what to do, and he seems really comfortable scoring around the rim, uh, and knows a lot of different ways to do it. But Derek's always been the big kid uh, playing the game, and and Kyle's a, a big kid that's new to the game and and still trying to. I mean, when you see what they're telling Kyle in practice, it's still some of the you know the basics of basketball about how to how to be strong in the post and and have a strong base and you know not put the ball on the floor and not the put the ball down low, stuff like that. Where where you're not explaining that to Derek Walker, who's 
who's played the game all his life and, and has always been the, the big kid playing around the rim. And, and uh, fortunately for them, Derek Walker's stepping up while, while Kyle's kind of taking a step back. Yeah, it, it, the next time that, that Kyle Alexander gets a rebound in the, the paint and then puts the ball on the floor with his first movement, I think Rick Barnes might actually – if you've seen that Melissa McCarthy skip from SNL, I think he might go throw a toaster at him. Yeah. Or just, just he just puts the ball down around his knees where everybody else is standing. Yeah. Don't do that. You're taller than everybody else. <laughs> that where Barnes goes, Kyle, you're six eleven. Admiral is six six. Turn around and dunk it. Just going crazy on him, and you know Kyle sitting there, sorry, sorry, you know. But but it, it, it's I will say this: it's been good to see that nothing that happens like that with Alexander does anything that there, there's not too much of an ego there. He just wants the team to win. He and wants he, to be coached. And, and he's loves taking coaching, and he's always, like, the happiest guy. It's like him and the walk-ons are, like, the happiest guys on the bench anytime anybody does anything. You know, that's just the kind of kid that he is. He just kind of walks around with this happy music playing in his head all the time, it seems like. Uh, but he's not the only one uh, that's been struggling a little bit right now. Uh, we will talk about the point guard who has picked up his play, um, but James Daniel is in a rut folks uh, there's no other way to put that right now he had a the only other guy on the team with a negative plus minus in the loss uh, or the win at Mississippi State uh, played just 13 minutes and lost uh, had a plus minus of minus one he did hit the one crazy bank shot that really helped Tennessee in the first half kind of tie the game and that turned some momentum a little bit but uh, I mean it, it's it, this is a guy who's a senior and he's a guy who's played as much basketball as anybody on this team, not for this team, but played as many minutes as anyone on this team uh, the past you know four or five years in the, in the college level. And he's kind of going the wrong way at the wrong time, and that's a little bit surprising to me because for a lot of the season I was making the argument that the team was better with him on the floor than it was with Bone on the floor. And I believed that, and I think the numbers bear that out. But lately – uh, Bone has been really picking up his game, and Daniel, you know, I think Barnes was trying to let Daniel work his way back into things. He was trying to give him the final six, seven, eight minutes of that game to kind of get get some his feet back under him, give Bone some rest, you know, let, let Daniel kind of play his way out of this, and then Daniel has a really stupid turnover, and Barnes, true to his word, takes him right back out of the game and puts Bone right back in to finish it because he's uh, he he just told the team. Stupid turnovers mean you're going to go on the bench. And he wanted Daniel to finish that game. And then Daniel did that. And he said, fine, screw it. I'll just go with Bone the rest of the way. It was and, a, a two-on-three break. And yeah. he tried to throw a lob up for Eve, who was trailing in traffic. Yeah, but it's Eve Pons. I mean, he could maybe throw that down. Yeah, but... I'm being selfish. I mean, really, I wanted... Tennessee was up 16 oh, yeah. points. I wanted to see that. I don't, I don't know why Eve didn't dunk it when he curled in the lane and had that, you know, ran downhill a couple steps. And, and I think he ended up with a little finger roll. Why he didn't dunk that ball, but I I don't know what's going on with James. You, know, you you would think as old as he is, he would know this is the time of year where you need to be playing your your best basketball and trending up. But maybe it's because he hasn't really been in this situation. Obviously, Howard was you know for the three four years he was there, they were not a very good basketball program. Didn't win a ton of games despite uh, the number of points he scored. He's he's not the first option on offense at Tennessee. He's never going to be. Uh, he's probably never going to be above the fourth option when he's on the floor, uh, depending on who he's out there with. And he handled that fine a lot earlier in the year, a couple of games where he had 10 assists, and he w- looks like he was kind of comfortable in that facilitator role and comfortable kind of being the old man on the floor that, that knows how to run things when things go crazy. Uh, but but it's been kind of a, a perfect storm of stuff going against him lately, and it's it's uh, 
it's it's kind of sad because he's helped this team win games that they wouldn't win without him on the floor. And and now he's, he's been the finisher at point now, guard. Now he's going into senior day, you know, playing as poorly as he's played all season, and uh, and that's unfortunate for him. But uh, like Rick Barnes said last year with Lou Evans, if he helps you win one game, he's worth signing. Well, James Daniel is worth signing because there's no reason to sit on that scholarship, and he's been a he's been a benefit even if he has struggled from from time to time. I mean, there's there's nobody on this roster that hasn't struggled. At times this season, it just happens yeah. to be his is is getting highlighted at the worst time of year. And Jordan Bone, as we just mentioned earlier, had another pretty solid game against Mississippi State: eight points, uh, three rebounds, two assists, just one turnover, uh, with a plus-minus of plus sixteen in twenty-seven minutes. So he has been playing much better basketball lately. Uh, maybe he is finally emerging from this doghouse and finally, finally starting to become the player he always should have been because he is so ridiculously talented. Uh, he should be one of the better point guards in college basketball by the time his career is done. Uh, he, he, he needs to be this kind of a player. And also a quick shout-out to Lamonte Turner also, who uh, did lead the team in plus-minus with a plus-24 uh, at Mississippi State and had 12 points on 4-4 shooting, 2 of 2 from 3, 2 of 2 from the free throw line, 4 assists, 2 rebounds. Sixth year of the man candidate. Yeah, that's uh, – Sixth man of the year. Sixth, I was about to say what did, six, I, what did I say? Sixth year of the man. I don't even know what – Dang He's it. the best six-year-old in the in, in the game. He's the best best six-year-old out there. Yeah. The uh, and and then Barnes with the great answer to that question. Well, we we view him as a starter, Rick. That that question was a softball where you're supposed to endorse one of your guys for an award. Go to bat here. Go to bat, Rick. Oh, we view, we don't view him as that. We view him as a starter. I, di- I didn't realize until that question was asked. Really, I hadn't really looked at his stats and thought really how much he's done. I think he's he's. Come off the bench to score fifteen or more points like eight times this season. Yep. I mean he's and he's won some. He's carried them in some games. Won some games where he hit the huge shot uh, in the corner to to tie the game against Purdue and they, they win in overtime. Then he hits the three at Kentucky to beat the uh, Kentucky. So he, he's hit big shots and he scored a ton of points. And and with Bone, I think it just comes back to finally maybe pushing the tempo the way they want the tempo to be pushed. Uh, that that Florida game, they win the tip and Bone goes down and scores in in less than like six seven seconds just because he pushes, uh, he's aggressive. He gets a good look uh, near the the rim and scores. Uh, he's got to do that more. He's got to run it on breaks. He's got to uh, get his eyes up and look for those outlet passes because they do have forwards that can then run run the floor. And I think he's he's doing all that. And I think it's why he's stayed on the floor more for you know a couple thirty minute plus games uh, when he wasn't doing that before and. And maybe he's the guy that that can be a difference maker right now. And you you look at you look at the situation with Turner, and here's the best way I can describe how much things have changed for Turner in the past year. Last year, tight game down the stretch. One of the last guys you want to see with the ball in his hands is Lamonte Turner. Uh, this year, you're you're in a big situation at the end of a game. You need to make a shot. You need to make a play. The guy who's hands you want the ball and maybe the most on the team is Lamonte Turner because he is the guy who has the stones and the offensive game to make those plays in those moments. Uh, he's done that throughout the season. Uh, even in that game against uh, State, I think maybe the, the one that was sort of the nail in the coffin three again came from Lamonte Turner, a guy who uh, loves nothing more in this world than shutting up an arena. When he's on the road, you know, some guys, they love to hit the three and get the crowd going crazy, and he, and he likes that. But you can tell that he just loves when they're on the road and, you know, the other – you know, the crowd's chanting defense, defense, and he hits that three-pointer that just shuts everybody up. You can tell he lives for that moment. So uh, that's going to be 
Uh, the, he, he's a guy who they would not be where they are this season without him. I think he would be a, a good, solid candidate for sixth man of the year, and things are going pretty, pretty well. But last thing before we talk about this Georgia game, Grant, is uh, we do need to mention Eve Pons. He did play uh, another 11 minutes, which is only one minute away from a career high in that game against Mississippi State. And, and that wasn't like he was on the floor when the game was out of control. He was clearly in the rotation, very clearly put into the rotation and looked more aggressive on offense than he's been pretty much all season. It almost looked like they were running stuff for him to get him those curls in the lane and those looks. And uh, if there's one thing the Quay Parker experiment taught a lot of people, it's that there's more to basketball than dunking the basketball and having a really good vertical and a really good YouTube clip. Uh, Obviously, Eve is a a freak athlete and, and can jump out of the gym uh, but he is 6'6". He does have crazy length. He is a really, really good athlete, and I think he is developing uh, in other areas than just dunking the basketball. He does seem more comfortable uh, on the offensive end. He's not just trying to get rid of the ball as soon as it gets to him. Uh, he looks more comfortable on the defensive end. Uh, I think he is developing in other areas. That's, that's going to make him a, a big factor going forward. If, if he wasn't, uh, Rick wouldn't put him on the floor. If there wasn't a, cert- a, a, a level of trust, even if it's not as much trust as – as other guys, he wouldn't be on the floor if that wasn't there. That's a that's a really good sign for him moving forward because I think people uh, expected a lot out of him. I thought he would be more of a uh, make more of an impact in terms of just being a versatile defensive guy and helping them uh, block shots, alter shots, rebound stuff like that. But he he was really kind of slow with his development. But hey, it's 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 a good time of year to get him involved and and kind of spring him forward because uh, he's going to be relied on a lot moving forward. Uh, in his, his sophomore season, junior season. Yeah, being able to watch the team as much as we're able to watch them throughout the season in practice and in games. And, you know, you, you, you can get to see different facets of guys' games that maybe if you just watch a game now and then you don't get to notice. And one thing that I've noticed big time with Pons in terms of his confidence level, to me it's a really simple thing. If you go back and look at the early parts of the season, his passes, they were so tentative, they were so uncomfortable. Right now he's throwing passes about as hard as anybody on the team. He's just whipping the ball around. And that is the sign of a confident player when you're throwing it that hard on a pass, when you're saying, all right, I know what I'm doing with this. I'm putting this right here, right there. Uh, he had a nice assist uh, on a big man-to-big man pass that, that helped Tennessee get some some points in that game. And he's just a guy who he's going to be a really, really nice player. And he works. Uh, Rick Barnes talks about how much he works off the floor and, and – and he's going to succeed because nobody really wants it more than Eve wants it and works for it. And those aren't compliments that Rick throws around lightly. Uh, he's not He's not going to say that stuff about it about you uh, unless he really, really believes it. So that, that's a big thing moving forward, that, that, that Pons uh, does know how much he has to work to develop his game, and, and he's putting that work in. That's a, that's a really, really good sign. All right, probably last thing before we get out of here, Grant, is you, you look at uh, this Georgia game on Saturday – what does Tennessee have to do in order to beat Georgia that it has not been able to do against Georgia the past couple of years? What's got to change other than the obvious, which is going to be a sold-out crowd, you know, really behind them, a lot on the line. In terms of the actual basketball, what do they need to do that they've not been doing against this team? They, they need to start fast. Uh, they need to find a way to, to, to score in the post because that's what they couldn't do. Uh, at Georgia, uh, get to the foul line. They, they, you can't let Georgia make 27 free throws while you're shooting 15 like they did at Georgia. Uh, but really, when it's when it's that kind of game, I, I think it can go away from what you need to do X's and O's wise to 
just have a good start to the game and let that atmosphere carry you. I mean, that, that's going to be a, one of the best atmospheres of the season, if not the best atmosphere of the season. If you start fast, if Georgia gets down double digits, you can really ride that momentum and, and how that building is when it's loud and, and when fans are uh, tuned in and engaged in the game. I mean, you saw it at Florida. It was, it was, early, it was loud early on, and, and they kind of wrote, uh, played off of that momentum for a while. They can do the same here, and, and they just have to close. I mean, they, they, they had Georgia beat at home last season. They couldn't close it. Uh, have a nice start, ride that momentum, just close the game. The simple thing for me is, you know, you have to go into the game understanding that Yontay Mayton is going to get his. Uh, he's one of the best players, if not the best player in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, just a six seven big man can do a little bit of everything. He is going to be a guy who's going to get his, whatever you want to call that, 18, 19, 20 points, six, seven, eight rebounds. Just going to the game knowing he's going to do that. What you absolutely positively cannot do is let Nicholas Claxton and Derek Ogbede also go in there and make big plays against you because those were the two guys I thought that just killed them in that game uh, down there in Athens. You know you know that Maiden's going to get his. When you let those other two big, man get, big men get going, you're, you're in trouble, and that's something that, that Tennessee just can't allow, and that's going to come down to guys like Alexander – uh, guys like uh, Walker, mm-hmm. you know, Walker. you've got to you've got to let those. You cannot let those other two big men, who are not great players but solid players. Claxton, in particular, is a guy who I think has enormous upside. He's going to could be a great player for either Mark Fox or whoever replaces him as Georgia's coach at some point over the next couple of years. And, and Ogbade is a nice, solid. He's kind of a classic SEC big man, six eight, two forty five. Uh, not special, but pretty solid player. Can give you. Uh, he had a double-double against Tennessee and really kind of turned that game around, uh, really kind of put Tennessee away. So uh, I think that if you're Tennessee, you've, Georgia's just okay in the backcourt, not great, but you can't let those other big men get going. That would be the biggest thing that I think Tennessee needs to do because Tennessee's got the horses to do this. Tennessee's got a, a deeper bitch. Tennessee has should be able to wear this team out. But you got to do that. I mean, this is a team that – Georgia team that, that's coming off a really humiliating loss midweek against A&M. They had that game won at home. And then A&M, a team that was the most anti-clutch team probably in the league for a good portion of the season, it goes there and, and turns around a late like four or five-point deficit uh, to make place to win that game. So this Georgia team will be probably a little bit frustrated. Uh, if you're Tennessee, get on them fast and don't let those other big men do anything to uh, to get going. Yeah, it'll be a good test of, of maturity and, and mentality where this team is. They, they're obviously playing pretty well in the court right now. Uh, can that continue and, and can they keep taking those steps forward? Uh, they know what plays into their favor. They know how the game ended in Athens. Rick Barnes is going to let them forget how the game ended in Athens and Admiral Schofield after that game in Athens was already talking about this rematch uh, in Knoxville. So this is a game they've looked forward to. Admiral's talking about the other night in Starkville. So that they've had this one circled for a while. Uh, I would be stunned if they're not they're not coming out ready to go. They need to ride the the momentum of where they are, and they need to uh, take it out on a Georgia team that, like you said, is is frustrated right now. And uh, the reason we're having to get out of here right now, guys, is because we're recording this in the morning and we're heading over to Tennessee's practice on Friday. And I can imagine that when we get there, we're going to be asking questions about James Daniel Senior Day, about playing for an SEC championship, and all these things. And, and I can just tell you. Rick Barnes is just going to say, well, we've got to beat Georgia. I haven't beat Georgia since I've been here. You know, we're going to say a whole lot of nothing. He's going to say a whole lot of nothing and a whole lot of talk about the Georgia Bulldogs and their inability to beat the Georgia Bulldogs. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We will be back next week. We'll do an SEC tournament preview edition. 
of the podcast. We will have another football podcast. If you missed that, we got a lot of stuff from that earlier this week, or came out yesterday, actually, on Thursday, about uh, Butch Jones in Alabama, about Trey Smith's situation, about Tennessee's uh, new quarterback, uh, Keller Christ, who we did not know was going to sign with Tennessee or, or commit to Tennessee when we did the podcast, but we did mention that he probably would go to Tennessee, so... There's still a lot of talk about him in there. So there's a lot of good stuff from that football podcast. Thanks for listening to this basketball podcast, and we will be back next week with episodes on both before we head to the worst major city in this country, St. Louis, Missouri. Grant, any final thoughts? Worst city in the country? Go Cubs. (laughs) Go America.